Welcome to Shelter in Place, a podcast about finding daily sanity in a world that feels increasingly insane. Coming to you from Oakland, California, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. The thing about doing a podcast six days a week is that sometimes I get tired, really tired. I think that would probably be true even if we were not in a pandemic, even if I did not have three small children who need a lot. Even if our country weren't grappling with racism in a way that's long overdue, but still really tough. I look around at neighbors I wave to from across the street, or friends who join me for social distance drinks, or people protesting from six feet away, and we all look so tired. We've been sheltering in place for a little over 12 weeks, a quarter of a year. It's a long time. Most of us were wearing then a long time ago. So I'm really grateful for moments of reprieve when someone else gives me a hand, a break from the usual grind of daily life in a pandemic. Today, that hand comes from Katie Semro at the Transmission Times, a bonus episode that's very meta. Like Shelter in Place, the Transmission Times is a podcast that came out of this pandemic, a beautiful audio diary from voices all across the globe. In this week's episode, one of those voices is mine. In fact, it's the very first one you'll hear. Here it is. This is the Transmission Times. Our family is surviving on our savings, which I'm really, really grateful that we went into this time with some savings. But honestly, mostly we're surviving on the generosity of others right now and it's this very weird thing about this time that on the one hand it feels some days excruciatingly hard and then other days like so beautiful the generosity and kindness and the care of people not just who know us but strangers even who've reached out sometimes. So that has been incredible. And it's made me really question a lot of the things that we prioritize before. I mean, I think we all know, we've all been told that money doesn't buy happiness. But it's very strange to actually be in this situation where (laughs) money is the thing that is not in a large supply here, and I felt more contented and happier during this time than I have in a really, really long time. Sometimes I find myself really grateful for the changes that this crisis has enforced, you know, the reflection on what really matters and the time with my children that I'm now having every single day. And then other times the enormity of it all hits me and I'm just there weeping and thinking, how long is this going to go on for? And what will life look like afterwards? I just feel like our life maybe needed to have the rug pulled out from underneath us. And we're being forced to reimagine everything right now. All the things that we thought were non-negotiables suddenly are up for discussion and 
it's terrifying. And yet there have been a lot of other moments where it's incredibly freeing to give ourselves permission to just kind of start over. I don't think I do think about the future at the moment. The pandemic has really made me live in the moment much more. I think because really for the first time in my life, I haven't taken it for granted that there is a future. I work in a hospital and I was coming into contact every day that I was at work with the virus and so seeing the effects and knowing or feeling that I was very vulnerable to that. I think I just shut down on the future a bit really and started just appreciating each day. I just don't really feel ready to start unpicking what the future's going to look like. It feels so uncertain. I just got my master's in ESL, teaching ESL to adults, and I'm thinking about our classroom experience coming up this fall, not knowing whether we're going back into the classroom or being online. It's a lot to think about, not having those ball tosses and relay races and close pair work and group projects. So I don't know what I see for the future, but I do know that I need my imagination and I need help. I pray for the sensitivity that I'll need in that time, whether we're online or in the classroom. When I'm an old woman and perhaps a grandmother, will I be regaling my grandchildren with stories of life before the pandemic? Tell us again about what it was like before, Grandma. You know, what it was like when people got to meet up in big groups. What it was like when there were huge gatherings and parties and you could hug anyone. Is that what it's going to be? It almost feels like maybe. And you know, I don't think I did enough of that. I didn't go to enough gatherings. I didn't go to enough parties. I didn't give enough hugs. I won't have that many stories. We had a social distancing outside party, no masks, but no shared food. The only thing we did was sit on the host chairs. And in our neighborhood, it's very woodsy and houses are separated out. So it was pee in the woods. And we gathered together without our usual hugging, but it was wonderful to see my neighbors and be able to chat with each other and find out what was happening and hear the news, good and bad. I'm definitely not showering as often, and I am definitely not washing my hair as often because it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I live in D.C. and I feel like if I worked for the water company, I would not be surprised if the water usage in this area has gone down as a result of the pandemic. Because I imagine that no, I'm not the only one who's 
not showering very often. I trust my stylist, but I don't trust COVID-19. So I'm going to pretend that people can't go back to the hairdresser now. And I'm going to grow out my hair all the way, see what I think, and I can cut it off if I want to. But so far, I feel like I'm coming back into a more youthful self. A worker had to come and do something at our apartment and I upfront told him, hey, please bring a mask, we'll be also wearing one. And I came to that conclusion that it's easier to do it like that because we had another worker come in a few days earlier and he didn't have a mask and I offered one to him and he said, no, he's healthy and he doesn't have anything. There's been so many arguments online about masks and I see memes about I'm wearing a mask for you or can't you wear a mask to be compassionate? And then I see the opposite of that. I see memes about not silencing yourself or covering up your face or things like that. And then on friends posts, I read conversations about people having somebody come and yell at them in the store because they're not wearing a mask or people getting yelled at because they are wearing a mask. And I finally just made this post and I said, you know, we're focusing on each other and making each other enemies over things like wearing a mask. And we should stop pointing at each other and turn shoulder to shoulder and point at Washington and demand to know what they're doing. Because we have to stand together. This is the old united, we stand, divided, we fall thing. Parenting has not been super easy or natural for me. I think a lot of my depression in the last eight years has come from feeling largely unfulfilled as a parent. But when I look at this time, we're suddenly on day one of shelter in place I started this daily podcast. It's six days a week. It's called Shelter in Place. And my husband took over the primary caregiver role instantly. Like we just swapped roles on day one. And so for the first time in a long time, I feel deeply fulfilled in life. The lockdown has sent our poor daughter completely loopy. We think she's on the autistic spectrum and school was really important for her, a really big anchor in her life. We used to do this thing at the dinner table where everyone would say one good thing that had happened to them during the day and every time that came to her, she always said school. Our school started back today, so my eldest went back to school for the first time. He was sad and he didn't want to go in. He said he wanted to stay with me, but I managed to persuade him in with the help of his teacher, who we did know already. And then he was in his little bubble. His class is called Hubble, so he's in a Hubble bubble of about seven children. And they had a really good morning. So that was lovely. 
and he came back all happy, covered in chocolate from his biscuit from lunchtime. Whenever we've been out walking, she's always been very anxious that we get way off the trail when other people are coming by a long way. And then she said, was that six feet, Daddy? Was that six feet, Daddy? And, you know, it was probably more like 20 feet. We've been able to live with it, but just recently her anxiety around food and taking medicines and things has become extreme. She'll reject food if something that we can't even see has happened to it. Like her finger has touched the outside of a bowl that contains rice, for example. She won't eat it. She won't eat the rice. She sees meat in the pan and she thinks a part of the meat looks green, which obviously it doesn't. And then she won't eat the meat. My daughter has developed an obsession with making dens and those dens are her safe spaces that she goes to when she's upset and when she doesn't know how to handle things. And my son has become obsessed with cars and reading magazines about cars. And that's his little escape from everything that's going on. I didn't really question that the lockdown was necessary and was on balance, a good thing. And I am not at all convinced anymore that the gains in terms of not overloading medical systems and that kind of thing are worth the pains that if I watch the news, I assume I wouldn't see on the news, really. You don't necessarily see this kind of stress, this kind of distress unless you live in it, and then you can't get away from it. And I don't personally, ah, I don't know. I'd like to say it's not worth it. I guess it's hypothetical because we don't know what would have happened if the virus had been allowed to run its course freely. But my heart says this ain't worth it. My heart says stop. I'd like to say a huge thank you to Karen, Gemma, Rini, Brian, Catherine, Christina, Diane, and three different Lauras, whose voices are coming to you from Washington, D.C., California, Maine, New York, Arizona, Romania, and the U.K. The Transmission Times Project is collecting audio diaries from people like you during this pandemic so that we can create an archive to document this moment in history. If you'd like to join the Transmission Times and add your voice and your story to the archive and possibly be on the podcast, we'd love to have you. Please sign up at transmissiontimes.org slash join. That's transmissiontimes.org slash join. I'm Katie Semro. This is the Transmission Times. Thank you to Katie Semro for providing this episode and for reaching out a couple of weeks ago to ask me how I was doing. I'll be back tomorrow with another regular episode of Shelter in Place. In the meantime, I hope you can find some way of giving yourself a little reprieve from daily life right now. That might just mean going for a walk, or getting to bed early, or calling up someone who will understand and telling them how you're doing. Whatever it is, I hope you take care of yourself, and maybe let others care for you too. 
Shelter in Place is grateful to be sponsored by Delta Wines, the refined daily drinker with a social good built in. These California wines are fresh and approachable, perfect for casual dinners at home, which is why we keep several in our fridge at all times. Plus, for every $15 bottle you buy, Delta donates $1 to fighting climate change. Buy online at winesforchange.com and use the code SHELTER to get 10% off. The Shelter in Place music was created by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions. Tamara Kemsley is our associate producer. Nate Davis is our creative director. And Sarah Edgel is our design director. Until tomorrow, this is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis.